When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford. And while we did not expect to be in the offseason at this point in time, the Rays are now in the middle of their offseason while other teams are playing. Uh, it's been a week and a half removed from the ALDS. And to kind of reflect on what happened, I'm joined by managing editor at DRaceBay.com, Danny Russell. Hey, Brett. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so sad it's the offseason. Yeah, we had all these great plans for the uh, playoff podcast series, tons of great guests lined up, uh, but here we are, the first Raise Your Voice of the offseason. Like I said, it's been a week and a half. Have you gotten over the ALDS loss? Are you enjoying postseason baseball? What's kind of going on in your baseball uh, psyche right now? Man, en- enjoying is relative because I oscillate between wanting to tune in to see what all the action that's happening and then sometimes just not being able to get myself psyched up because it's not the Tampa Bay Rays and just being so frustrated. I think that's one of the things I really want to lean into and reckon with uh, this offseason as uh, things like uh, the team wanting to play in a different market come to the fore. Uh, Is my relationship to baseball because I love baseball or is my relationship to baseball because I love the Tampa Bay Rays and emphasis on the Tampa Bay? And so I think that's an interesting question. Like, can I just enjoy postseason baseball, even though the Rays have lost or are out of it, is a question I find myself asking. And so now I'm starting to tune in for stars. I'm like, okay, Max Scherzer, cool. I'm going to watch that. Or uh, Framber Valdez. I, I really like watching Framber. So let's let's see what he has to do. Um, but boy, do I, I don't care to see Jose Altuve at all. So it, it's a struggle <laughs> just thinking about turning on the ALCS and and having to deal with guys that, you know, are pretty intimately connected to cheating. Yeah, I mean, but the the big stars of this postseason are like Kike Hernandez, Chris Taylor, Eddie Rosario. I mean, not players like Randy Rosarena and Wander Franco that are actually good. It hurts to watch. I'm like, these guys are just having way too much fun, and I cannot enjoy it. You know, Kike Hernandez is good. He is good. Okay. I, He's not this good. He's not hits no. 500 in the postseason good. Of course not. But Kiki Hernandez is a fairly talented baseball player and, and the, the utility type that you'd expect the Tampa Bay Rays and the Dodgers and the Heim Bloom version of the Boston Red Sox to pursue. That's a quality baseball player that you would love to be on the Tampa Bay Rays. Eddie Rosario, not so sure. <laughs> well, as soon as the season ended, I dove right back into my alternate reality on out of the park baseball and played my my Rays save, uh, but I just lost in the 2024 World Series to the Braves in six games, so it's not going too well there either. So, what do you think of this Rays roster? Should should they still be in the postseason right now? We were planning like they were still going to be in the postseason right now, but is is it appropriate that they were bounced? Like what? What's your take? Was this the a roster that should have been able to go all the way? I, I, I looking back, and I know Jared and I we we did the reaction after game 
four where you, you were in attendance. I was in attendance. Yeah. Um, at Fenway Park. Uh, in By the way, people were very nice to me. I had my uh, Wade Boggs Devil Race gear on. And so you get like a little bit of uh, begrudging respect from the Fenway folks uh, when they see Boggs on the jersey instead. Like I get very different reactions if I have the Longo jersey on. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of gravitate toward the Boggs specifically now when I'm in Boston at a game. But then uh, people were just like nice to me because they were happy the Red Sox won and, and it was all just kind of trucking <laughs> sure. forward for them. I, I wonder what it would have been like if the Rays <laughs> had won, as they should have. And uh, but that's not what happened. Like I always say, the two, the Rays two retired numbers are known more for their time with other teams within the AL East, like Don Zimmer with the Yankees, Wade Boggs with the Red Sox and the Yankees. Um, so it's a little weird, but um before I go into my thoughts, I, I am kind of curious. Like that was a great game, ALDS game four. There were some amazing moments. Kevin Kiermeyer had, if if, and we'll get into this. If this is his last game in a Rays uniform, that might have been mm. one of the his, his greatest game in a Rays uniform. You talk about that throw to third base to throw at Alex Verdugo. What, what was the what was the experience like? And do you think it was worse for you to watch that in person, or would you have had a harder time kind of absorbing all of that at home from your couch? I think it would have been easier to absorb it all on my couch because the crowd reactions are the opposite of my reaction. And so, uh, you know, if there's a play at third base, like the the kind of replays you're getting on the Jumbotron and on the TVs that they have kind of embedded in the stands, like, you know, you're getting a different spin and a different take. And so I wonder like how much of that would have shaken out differently Um or, or how much of that is controlled or how much we're just seeing the broadcast. And maybe that's what the broadcast look like. It's it, you ask yourself questions. Like would I get a more tailored Tampa Bay Rays uh, experience from my couch where I'm engaged on Twitter. I'm engaged on Slack. I'm engaged in the game day thread that we have on D race Bay. Um, you know, instead I'm there with my buddy and, you know, soaking it all in. But I think my biggest takeaway from that game, having been there in per- person, is that it was so freaking loud. I've had the good pleasure of attending many college football games that I would consider fairly loud. Uh, Florida State alum, uh, the marching band, the student section. I feel like I've been to a lot of loud games. I feel like I've been to a lot of loud concert experiences too. This, I feel that I didn't have a decibel reading with me. I didn't (laughs) open up an app on my phone. I honestly feel like this is one of the loudest experiences of my life. The Fenway crowd was deafening. The The stadium was literally shaking. I mean, I, I've been to an Atletico Madrid home game. I'm thinking of like all the experiences I've had that I thought were loud. Nothing compares to how loud Fenway Park was and how extraordinary that home field advantage really must be. To, to play in Fenway Park with the weird dimensions and a crowd that's just hyper engaged. It was astounding. It was. And I, and I think uh, like Morosi and Rosenthal, uh, John Paul Morosi and Ken Rosenthal, they were reporting on the game. They were saying similar things. It was uh, one of the louder experiences. And part of that's because I think the Red Sox and, and their fans, they didn't really expect to be here and, and beating the Rays. And looking back at the series, it's been a week and a half removed. The, it, it played out Rays dominate game one. Red Sox dominate game two. Games three and four were almost literally coin flips. Mm-hmm. Um, this series, it felt like it deserved a fifth game winner take all. Mm-hmm. It really did. 
And the, that, I mean, that's the competitive nature of the game. And, you know, on the site, I put up a what if where I asked myself questions about how the game should have gone and could have gone. Maybe one of the most important ones on there, though, when I think about like, should it should this roster, should this specific Tampa Bay roster have gone the distance? How different it is if Tyler Glass now is healthy. If yeah. you have if you're able to lean on Glass now as the ace of this staff, and I'm comparing that to Houston, who also well, they had McCullers for the ALDS and they lost McCullers, which would be their Glass now, you know, uh, equivalent for this championship series. They might win, they might beat Boston and move on here, but like it's the completely different Houston team if you are without your best starting pitcher. And it just sucks. Yeah. And the, and the other thing, and I think there's a lot of criticisms that flew in throughout the series about the Rays and the way they operate, and specifically Kevin Cash, the way he manages his bullpen, which is not too dissimilar to the rest of the managers that are still standing in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one decision, I was like, there's a ton of fair criticism for the Rays and how they came into this season. And we could talk about what happened and the order in which certain events happened last offseason. But it did not get the offseason off to a good start when you declined the option of Charlie Morton. You and I oh said on this podcast that it was a fireable offense if he walked and went somewhere else. There he goes. He's still pitching in the postseason with the Atlanta Braves for the same price that the Rays could have brought him back in 2021. And, and performing so well that the Braves signed him to a one-year extension at $20 million with an option for 2023 yeah. at another $20 million. It is absurd. This is one of baseball's best and most talented veteran pitchers who clearly brings his best in the postseason. He is a true postseason hero. He was a leader in the clubhouse. I, I mean, any Tampa Bay Rays fan that's listening to this knows how important Charlie Morton was to the club. Here's the problem, Brett. The fireable offense, the person that probably deserved to be fired for that is the person writing the checks. <laughs> yeah, because I, I I cannot think of a baseball reason to move on from Charlie Morton. I mean, a, a grade A person, a grade A personality like they're talking about, oh, we can shell out for Nelson Cruz because of what he brings to the club to to educate Wander Franco. Great. Sure. Why not? If you want to spend money on that, you're also willing to spend money on Charlie Morton. So the more they talk about the reasons why to, to keep expensive veteran players around the more you lose the thread on why Charlie Morton is not a part of this ball club. Unless, which they won't do, but unless they come forward and say, I'm sorry, the computer algorithms told us he would get hurt or something like that. Maybe it's an over-reliance on some kind of weird projection that says Charlie Morton cannot be this good. But he's already broken all the models or whatever computer system there might have been to put together. Charlie Morton doesn't just happen in a computer he happens in real life and uh, but uh, i you don't fire the gm for this because i don't think it was the gm's decision i can't find a reason to think that the gm which at the time was eric neander and and that's kind of changing if you think about off-season outlook there could be things happening in the front office as he takes a step up and becomes president instead of gm and how does that impact the way decisions get made i think that's an interesting question point being in terms of going into the season there's not a baseball reason for Charlie Morton to not be on this club. Yeah, yeah, I don't think uh, either of us are calling for for Eric Neander's drop um, after a hundred win season, uh, another season with the best record in the American League, and again a series that ended with like a couple balls literally bounce a different way or bounce a different way off of Hunter Renfro's thigh, and this <laughs> series could look completely different. The Rays could still be playing. Who knows? 
and ultimately, I think, yes, there are reasons the Rays didn't win. I did think the Red Sox outplayed. I don't feel like this series was stolen from the Rays. I don't feel mm. that like sourly about it. I felt like the Red Sox deserved to win, but I felt that it was very close. And a couple of things, like you, you look at the start of game four, you have Hunter Renfro make an insane catch in right field, and then Wander Franco gets rung up on a ball at his neck. Um, no, quite literally one of the worst strikeouts you'll ever see. It was like completely different type of pitch, but reminiscent of the call. Uh, I don't know if you remember back in Texas, maybe like a decade ago, Ben Zobrist getting called out on strikes to end the game on a curveball that landed in oh, the other yeah. batter's box. Yeah. And yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was like that is what's happening. And, and this has happened in the postseason. I know it was the top of the first inning, but it really set a tone. For the rest of the game, you bring Shane McClanahan in, who without Charlie Morton, without Tyler Glass now, without Blake Snell, that is your quote unquote ace. Bring him out of the bullpen. But I don't understand that decision because if you're playing for game five, you need Shane McClanahan on full rest to pitch game five. Was the plan Shane Boz after he got lit up by the Red Sox? Was that the grand master plan or was the plan we're going to have an off day in between game four and game five and therefore the bullpen will be rested? Well, guess what? If you have an off day between game four and game five, the bullpen's rested enough to use it in game four. Why are you bringing in Shane McClanahan? It made no sense. Now, maybe he was uh, just prowling in the bullpen and like, this is my game. Get me in. Sure. Okay. Why are you bringing him in for uh, the hot hitting Christian Vasquez to start the frame? Why didn't you just let one more out happen? Or why didn't you say, hey, buddy, sorry, we're going to make a baseball decision and say this is not your moment. Right. Or maybe, maybe, maybe he was brought in because it's like to replace his bullpen session and because he was going to make a game five start anyway. If that's true, he should have been pulled after like 20 pitches. Mm-hmm. And instead, he was left in to give up five freaking runs. There is no instance in which that decision from start to finish makes any sense. And it's uh, before Kevin Cash, Shane Bosch, Shane McClanahan, neither of them are available in game four. When he said that, we all kind of knew that that wasn't true. It's an elimination game. Really, anyone is available. Then, like, after the game, it seems like it was always in the cards to use Shane McClanahan. And no matter, and I know maybe you're trying to, you know, keep your cards close to the vest. You don't want to tip the Red Sox off on, you know, how they can set their lineup up, even though managers know who's starting games. If you know Shane McClanahan's going to pitch, even if it's only for, I don't know, six batters, nine batters, why not let him start that game, be more comfortable in that situation? He's already on short rest. I know he's got, you know, major league experience pitching out of the bullpen. He did so last postseason, but it felt a little bit weird to go to him in that situation from a guy that we know gets amped up and sometimes uh, to that, that hurts his pitching. And he's a rookie, right? But right. that sequence of events should have mirrored what we saw from uh, Nate Ivaldi in the ALCS where he comes mm-hmm. in, yeah. you know, two days before his next start and he's in there to throw, I think he threw 23 pitches. Mm-hmm. I mean, he should have won the game for the Red Sox. He had the strikeout and, even started right. walking back to the dugout and they didn't give it to him. And then he was forced to go, go back out there. They weren't prepared to bring in somebody new. Uh, he, to finish the, he ends up giving up runs. The Red Sox lose that game and it gets away from them, but the Red Sox probably win that game with an appropriate called strike zone. So I understand why any fan base would get upset about that. We saw 
a, an NLCS or NLDS end on a check swing, right? Mm-hmm. These umpire decisions deciding ball games essentially is absurd. And I don't, it's, it's, I don't know what you do about an ump show. They have their own union and protections and no recourse. So great sport we've got here. Yeah. Um, but that, that outing, that Nate Evaldi outing should have been what the Shane McClanahan outing was. Uh, end of the game. We've used our high leverage pitchers already. Now the best choice is Shane McClanahan in a bullpen session, right? Yeah. You're telling me all the way down the list, all of your relievers, your best choice for the third inning to follow Colin McHugh was a bullpen session from Shane McClanahan. That was better than your entire bullpen. Well, that tells me your bullpen sucks. And maybe it did. I mean, I don't think it did. But Well, I, I kind of was banging the table in, in September and saying, like, we have bullpen problems, right? But who doesn't? Who doesn't? But that's the problem. It's the end of the year. It's banged up. You know, Nick Anderson couldn't return from injury. That was another what if in that article. Yeah. But why isn't Andrew Kitcher starting the inning, for instance? Right. If if you really need someone to go to in the third. I why are it, they clearly were hoping Shane McClanahan could absorb a lot of innings. A lot of innings. Because you bring him in for seven, eight, nine, you're probably anticipating he goes back around and goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, mm-hmm. eight, nine. Yep. Oh, yeah, that was, it, seemed like it'd be the plan. Which, again, then he's not pitching game five. But, yeah, it, but the, you got to get to game five. And I, I'm not against using Shane McClanahan in that spot. Like, Rafael Devers, that home run he had, he had never, like, hit a home run off no. a fastball that hard from a left-handed pitcher, like, ever in his career. Or if he had, it had been a long time. And it feels like the Red Sox, and even even now they're down 3-2 in the ALCS as we record, but it felt like there was some divine power that was just, you know, we've got Rafael Devers with a, like a hurt wrist who's just still smashing baseball. Xander Bogarts got out of his slump out of nowhere. You've got guys like Kika Hernandez and Christian Vasquez winning baseball games single-handedly for the Red Sox. Like, it felt like there was something Those are otherworldly. baseball players. I mean, Christian Vasquez right. looks like a troll underneath the bridge, but he is a good baseball player. Right, Xander Bogarts like is a home great run. hitter. You never in a million years expect Rafael Devers to hit that home run. He did. That's the way it happened. Who knows? I mean, it was not a terrible pitch from Shane McClanahan. I think it was a 97 right there no, on the wrist. No, it wasn't a bad pitch. And he just clobbered it. Um, but anyways, do you have any other like thoughts on this series? I kind of want to run through some of the early offseason well, I, stuff. So I guess my last thought on this series was uh, we did not see a lot of Joey Wendell. No. Which did not really click in my head. Was he hurt? Like I go back in that series and wonder. So, I mean, I have, I have, if our longtime listeners will know I'm not Joey Wendell's biggest fan. If I were to build a baseball player on uh, MLB, the show, it would look a lot different than Joey no. Wendell, but <laughs> he's he a look more fairly like good Diaz. defender. He's, he's a great defender. And in the postseason last year, he took over the third base job and ran with it all postseason long. Third base was Joey Wendell's particularly for his defense. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much we saw Joey Wendell at third base, but it does make me wonder how different some of those batted balls up the line go. The Red Sox were getting all kinds of hits straight up the line, right past Yandy Diaz. And then you have the play in the ninth inning uh, with Yandy Diaz. Was that, did they, did they go to extras or was it the ninth? 
I think it was the bottom of the ninth. It was the ninth. It off. I think uh, in the the slow roller that Yanni Diaz has to come in field can't make the throw. I know Joey Wendell isn't known for his like accurate arm. Like he's made G Man Troy do a lot of splits, a lot of jumps. He's probably put G Man Troy on the IL a couple of times with his throws. Um, hmm. But Yanni Diaz making you know not not botching that play it was a tough play. Uh, but having a guy like Joey Wendell, maybe a little bit more comfortable, he gets to that ball quicker, has a little bit more time to make a throw. And the other thing is, like, Yandy Diaz, who I love, don't get me wrong, like his oh, sure. on-base percentage from the first half to the second half dropped over 50 points. His walk rate was cut by more, like, it was cut in half. Went from 16.1% in the first half to just 7.8% in the second half. Like, Yandy Diaz, if he's not drawing walks, then what is he doing? Yeah, he's trending in the wrong direction. Yeah. And so I, I, again, I'm a huge fan of Yanni Diaz and Joey Wendell didn't have the best second half either, but like you said, you have to take other things into account such as defense. And I think they're, they're, they're both, you know, fine defenders. The idea is maybe you have one player that can play the uh, Joey Wendell, Yanni Diaz role. And maybe, maybe we'll talk about certain acquisitions that could fill that and in a later podcast, but I want to focus on, we're going to take a real quick break and then focus on what the Rays, the decisions they have to make going into this off season. Right. Do you think the 2021 Rays should have got past the Red Sox and would they have gotten past this Houston team? Yes, they should have gotten past the Red Sox. Because mm-hmm. it was basically two, it's two walk-offs. If you're playing in Tropicana Field, those games are wins for the Rays. <laughs> no, but you're not. You, you already had your two games in Tropicana Field. Um, yes. And I think guys like Brandon Lau and Nelson Cruz, I know that it's a four-game sample size, whatever. Yeah, those guys have to get hits at some point. Like mm. I we we talk about baseball, and there's all this talk about oh, the postseason is a crapshoot. I fine, I get it, I understand it. But like one hit from Brandon Cruz or Brandon Cruz, Brandon Lau and or Nelson Cruz in certain situations. I was about to say, you put them together, it's still one hit, Brett. Yeah. It was a home run in game one, specifically game three in the eighth inning when the Rays had a runner on second and nobody out. And the, both of those guys came up and couldn't get it done. Like, all it took is one hit. And all of a sudden, like, the Rays win this series. Like, these guys don't need to put up Randy Rosarena and Wander Franco-type postseasons for the Rays to have been able to advance. But Brandon Lau, game one, I thought he played really well. Had maybe some bad Babbitt luck. The rest of the series, maybe I'm just, like, hyper-fixating on, on what I saw. But he looked frustrated. You, me, and Ashley, we talked about it in the dugout after he struck out, slamming his back, can't even get it in the cubby. He couldn't hit anything, not even a cubby he in the dugout. He can't slam his bat without it coming back to hurt him. No, I mean, you talk about fireable offenses. <laughs> Brandon Lau having consecutive postseasons where he forgets how to hit a baseball. Like what? I'm The only reason he's sticking around is because he costs $4 million next year. I and mean, he's, there's he's still very good. Like, I don't know. Very good. Like maybe still the best hitter on the team. Bill Belichick would have cut that guy. I mean... <laughs> If you have a, a if you have a ball player, if this were the NFL, and you have a ball player who he fumbles in the playoffs every year, he just forgets how to hold on to the ball, you would move on from that running back. Right. Brandon Lau throughout the season is a running back. He's just grinding it out with consistency and with quality, and he's at the top of the lineup for a reason, but he gets in the postseason and he's never seen a baseball thrown before. Like I don't I, I saw the 2020 postseason performance and somehow it got worse. Yeah, it is unfathomable that you would continue to employ Brandon Lau based on his performance in these two postseasons. I would trade him. I don't I I have no desire to watch Brandon Lau do this a third time to my team. If I'm an owner, if I'm in the front office, I mean, now the counterpoint is. 
wow, it sucks that he hit a cold streak again. Clearly, he's a great player over 162 games. He'll help you get to the postseason. And then maybe bench him in the playoffs. Sure, maybe. (laughs) Why not? Maybe we could talk ourselves into that, but I just don't understand why I'm supposed to trust Brandon Lau ever again. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. I I think that's a fair assessment, but unless the Rays got like an insane haul for him, uh, trading him would be a net negative. Like you look up, he's got a career 134 WRC plus as in above uh, average to above average fielding second baseman. Um, Yeah, that like he's Joey Gallo that plays second base. Like uh, trading him, unless you get a return, I just can't see that as like a good baseball decision. Oh, I'm definitely insinuating that you just get a good return for him. I'm not saying trade him for nothing. I don't want well, another no, Evan Longoria I, trade. No, no, no. And that, he's got way more value than that. But it's like, who, like, are you confident to play second base and whatever other position Brandon Lau is expected to play? Are you confident that, like, Vidal Brujan, Taylor Walls? And Wander Franco? The, well, Wander Franco's the shortstop. So far. Yeah, maybe, so maybe it moves that ends up at third base. But, like, his spot in the lineup, he, we're not trying to replace his production, but like, are you from what you saw out of Vidal Brujan this year? I know he needs more time and I'm not like out on Vidal Brujan yet. Like, are you confident that like, the group of those guys stepping up and or the guys that they can afford in free agency or the trade market are out there to replace Brandon last production on what was a 40 and 20 team and 162 team? I, well, I mean, the free agent market is not not going to be a thing that happens. But like the one player, I, I guess we'll go into this now before we go into like the other decisions they have to make from the roster. And this is kind of who I was alluding to in replacing Joey Wendell and Yanni Diaz is uh, Jose Ramirez of the Cleveland Guardians. I mean, yeah, 100 percent. If you can trade for Ramirez, the Rays would do that in a heartbeat. Uh, he is exactly the type of player that the Rays would want. If you value a player that can help you in developing Wander Franco into a superstar, uh, Jose Ramirez, who he's known his entire life and has inspired him and helped him the entire way, would be the perfect player to continue employing. A hundred percent. If the Rays have an opportunity to acquire Jose Ramirez, they will. And a left side of the infield of Ramirez and Franco, I think, is the dream scenario for the Rays. It's the it would make what no matter who you put on the right side of the infield, that would probably make like the best infield in baseball. On the right side, you could then do Joey Wendell at second base, which is Taylor Walls, where he would be elite. You could put Taylor Walls, who is truly elite when we've seen him play defense, like literally elite, literally Kevin Kiermaier, the infield. That's been the joke. It's real. That's definitely the quality of his defense. Uh, Vidal Bruhan might be a thing. You need to think about that. You need to have space for him on the roster. So that would be incredible. <laughs> I well, mean, if I, we wanted to build a perfect and Jose Ramirez is the answer. We say that, but if the Rays were to acquire Jose Ramirez, the trade would, yeah, either include Brandon Lau and then maybe, well, not plus a, a Bruhan or a Walls, but if there's other pieces, who knows what a blockbuster trade would look like. Um, we'll we'll dive deeper into that later in the in the offseason. But you mentioned Kevin Kiermaier, and I said that his, you know, ALDS game four is very very, very well could be his last game in a raise uniform. He's got one more guaranteed year on his contract at 12 million. And I think he's a two and a half million dollar buyout for 2023. Um, but at this point, I know once you sign a player, it's already a sunk cost. But when he's got one year left, it's a sunk cost. His roster spot is more valuable. Well, could be more valuable if, if you don't believe that he is able to man center field for you every day. Do you think the Rays will look to trade Kevin Kiermaier again this offseason? season? 
And will it end up being like worse return than the Longoria trade if they put one off? I mean, I don't know the quality of the trade. I bet it is. Um, I mean, the Rays have made a lot of trades lately that, you know, on their face don't maybe look as exciting or or good as you might expect. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if the Rays just acquire things that they like. Um I I would not anticipate Kevin Kiermaier continuing to be a race player. Uh, he makes, I don't know, a sixth of the team's payroll. Yeah. Uh, based on $12 million. That's a lot. That's too much. Uh, the race yeah, don't make a lot of money when it comes to ticket sales. And that's got to give somewhere. And the most likely place for that to give is 100% on, uh, on the playing field. So, yeah, I mean, the Rays in general are like a going concern. The reason they're saying that they want to split a season with Montreal is because the team doesn't make enough money. Mm-hmm. So why would you pay $12 million for Kevin Kiermaier? Especially when, when you, you have also Brett have... Phillips. Brett yeah. Phillips is making the league minimum and your final year of Manuel Margot is not going to cost more than five. And if the if any situation, if you say the Rays could basically replicate maybe even like 80% in terms of defense, right? And then let's say which uh, I think you is come true out of- with both Phillips and Margot. Like I think right. they're they were all all three of them were in the top ten and outs above average. Right. And Kevin Kiermaier is regularly injured as well. So if you can find a taker for Kevin Kiermaier, they're gonna do it. I mean they I tried to in July. Chance. I mean we we saw the reporting, I put it on this site that uh both of the teams in New York wanted a center fielder. You bet they were asking about Kevin Kiermaier, and maybe just the trade didn't make sense for them, or they didn't want to mess with the clubhouse in the middle of the season because Kiermaier is one of the leaders, but when it came to the offseason, or sorry, uh, when it came to the postseason, Brett Phillips got dropped from the roster because there wasn't space. Yeah. There is not room for Brett Phillips and Kevin Kiermaier. So Kevin Kiermaier. We said that last year, and they, and they both stuck. And I think, yes, this was, um, there was like Kevin Rosenthal reporting back in, um, in August, um, right after the trade deadline, that there was a deal the Rays and Cubs talked about for Kiermaier and Gloss now to go to Chicago and return uh, yeah chicago would love to have kiermaier because his brother is Is the the groundskeeper for wrigley field (laughs) see kevin kiermaier playing center field in wrigley sense like feels right like it feels like that could happen but like kevin kiermaier in a yankees uniform just doesn't compute in my brain um so i'm 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 glad that whatever discussions the Rays and yankees had uh never really came to fruition uh, because i'm still an unabashed uh kevin kiermaier fan so even if that's it uh i'll still be rooting for kk even unless he goes to new york sure Let's talk about Mike Zanino. Um, maybe the Rays' most valuable player in 2021. I think he would get my vote for that award. Um, $7 yeah. million dollar option. We've seen the Rays mm-hmm. kind of play around with Mike Zanino's contract in previous years where he's had these options, and the Rays have declined it back-to-back years, just hoping they can bring him back on a smaller contract in free agency because offensively he was very, very poor for the Rays his first two years. This year, everything clicked. Maybe his best offensive season in his career. The defense, I thought, was really good again this year. We know the impact he has on the pitching staff. We know how much Kevin Cash and Kyle Snyder value him. It makes sense that the Rays would pick up his $7 million option, especially when you look around the league and what the other catching options are. But the Rays don't always make the decisions that seem to make sense on the surface. Sure. $7 million is nothing for an all-star catcher. The front office from what I was told was very divided when they didn't pick up a similar cost for um, Travis Darno. Mm-hmm. Travis Darno went on to continue being great. 
after putting up a decent season. Uh, defensively, maybe not as much, yeah. but a great offensive season for the Rays. And then maybe I like a neutral. Zanino to Darno. Right. Zanino's better and cheaper than Darno. They're not going to make that mistake again. They're going to pick up this option. And if they don't, again, I will say that was not a baseball decision. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because the thing is, is like these last two years when you decline the option and then just bring him back in free agency, like he wasn't going, going to go anywhere else. He wanted to come back to the Rays. It's his home state. Like he likes being here. Uh, he, he wasn't like getting bigger numbers on the free market this year. He would like if the, you decline mm-hmm. that option, he is probably making at least 10 million a year. Maybe it's a one or two year deal, but like there are other teams that would gladly take Mike Zanino uh, as their backstop. Yeah. For a lot more money. Yeah, exactly. Look how much um, Wilson Ramos made. The, the, the last big decision I want to touch on here. There's a, a ton of decisions that are coming up for the Rays this off season, uh, but Tyler glass now. Gets Tommy John surgery. He's got two years of team control left, one of which will be spent rehabbing this injury, this surgery. That means he's got one healthy year with the Rays if they keep him. But everything the Rays have done in the past would show that they're not going to keep a star player in the last year of team control unless there's a contract extension in place. What are your thoughts on the Tyler Glass now situation? I think that the Rays need to work out a new contract to buy out the next couple of years, kind of like a Clevenger Mm -hmm. when he went to the Padres uh, and then got injured, right? Figure out what the front office is willing to pay for Tyler glass. Now for that second year and a half, you, you, you lose 21, uh, you lose the rest of 21, you lose probably all of 22. Mm -hmm. So figure out what 23 and 24 you think is a reasonable cost and just pay up for that part specifically and work out the rest so that he's making a little bit. A lot of players seem willing to take a small amount of money for those injured years so that they can lock it in for, for other years. Just figure it out. And, and even, so say it's a three-year extension to cover 22 through 24. Those trade discussions, which will happen, they happened in July before he went under the knife. Uh, those can still happen. Like <laughs> that, that's, that's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, like, like those, the race those, for sure. Yeah, like like Nate Evaldi is an example. Like the Rays, while they were rehabbing him, they signed him to do a two year deal as a free agent. They brought him in, rehabbed the whole first year, pitched like three starts for the Rays when he came back, and then all of a sudden, boom, he was dealt to Boston. He's still there to this day. Like if you sign Tyler Glass now to an extension tomorrow, you could trade him in December. Like like I'm not like that's not a thing that's impossible. I don't think it would happen, but. It was most important for Tyler Glass now to get that surgery so that in 2023, he could be hopefully fully healthy in his walk year, his last year of team control, going into free agency at, I think, 30 years old is what he'll be at when he's eligible for free agency, where he could Mm -hmm. cash in on a, if he's healthy, a massive contract, given what we know Tyler Glass now is capable of. But yeah, if you can find a way to secure his services for one more year, even if you don't plan on pitching him in 2024 with the Rays, it kind of can push back any trade discussions that you might need to have. Because if you're the Rays, are you holding on to him for all of 2022? If he's not going to throw a single pitch for you, and then you have one year left when his value will drop off on the trade market. Gosh, I hope not. I mean, between this year and next year, I think if I, I'm speaking off the cuff on this, having not researched it very well, but what I remember of players going under the knife on arbitration is that the following year, they make the same amount of money on arbitration. They don't see their value really increase. 
if I remember that correctly, thinking about like Alex Cobb and stuff like that, that we've seen before. And history for arbitration is usually precedent. I think Yannick so Chirinos will be the right, same way. If I have this wrong, Ian and JT and everyone will tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> if I have this right, Glass now is projected to right now 5.8 million. So yeah. like six. So if he's supposed mm-hmm. to make 6 million in 22, he'll probably make 6 million again for 23. So the question is, are you willing to pay 12 million for part of the 23 season? And I think the answer is no. But if you could get him to agree to maybe 4 million in 22, 6 million in 23, and then 10 or 12 for 24 and, and like shave a couple million dollars off of it and try to get an extra year. Uh, I mean, now age-wise, he might, might not be willing to do that. His, his age 28 season is gone. His age 29 season is the last one, I think, is how that works. So you'd be trying to buy out his age 30 season, and then his age 31 season is when he becomes a free agent, if I if I have his age right. Like, his agent just might be like, no, that's a hard pass. Let the race cut you or trade you. Yeah, like, I think I was going to say the same thing. If I'm Tyler Glass now's agent, I want him to hit free agency after the 2023 season. Let him have one fully healthy year back on the bump, Show what he's capable of, because then going into his age 30 season, I mean, he's set up for like you could see a team if he's healthy and pitches the way we know he can in 2023 like that. He could get a seven, eight year deal potentially uh, if he were to hit free agency then. Now, not all Tommy John surgeries are equal, right? Some players return to form quicker, and I don't have the details on which version uh, of recovery Tyler Glass now is going through if he's available for like all of the 23 season, like all of it, like you can pretty much count on if, if the surgery went correctly. Yeah. If you, if you're looking at 160 inning floor, let's say, let's say he's on a quick hook or something, but that he's around pretty much all year. He's there through spring training and, and is, or like joins the team, maybe even a couple starts into April or something like that then 12 million for that caliber of player is not expensive we just talked about how you should have kept charlie morton at 15 and i would rather have that version of tyler glass now coming off of surgery tommy john surgery is pretty successful now so yeah. yeah i'd pay i'd pay 12 million for that so there's some inside information that we don't have about his recovery i i think and it's it's kind of a hunch i think it'll take somewhere like three years 30 million if you want Tyler Glasnow's signature to extend whatever, then, you know, maybe they reach a deal for 2022 and 2023. But I think if you want to keep him and have him pitch more for the Rays into 2023, I think somewhere around three years, 30 million would be what it would take. Maybe more. Who knows? Again, we don't know the situation. Um, yeah, this is going to be a fun off season because the Rays have a really talented team. But like, if they don't make any big moves in terms of bringing talent in, Mm-hmm. My last question to you is, are you comfortable as a Rays fan with the team, quote unquote, running it back? No, 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 I'm not. You got so close and you weren't able to put it together because the bullpen fell apart. The rotation fell apart. You you didn't have it. Um, now, the Rays have crazy depth in the minors, and those dudes are going to keep on coming. We got Josh Lowe on his way. Uh, we've got. Vidal Brujan on his way. We've got Taylor Walls on his way. I do Tommy think he can Romero. start to clean house a little bit. For maybe <laughs> uh, that that style of pitcher is more of a question mark. That could be like a 
he's really good in AAA, but do you have yeah. the stuff for the majors? Like I'm, I'm not committed to, to Tommy Romero, but in terms of, I'm not, he's not an ink, he's not an ink in my plans, right? Like mm-hmm. I want to see him make the jump, but I, I love the, the, the first introductory tease there of like, can you get Jose Ramirez? Like that's the kind of stuff that makes me excited. Sure. He's a little bit expensive, but would, would Cleveland give up one of their starting pitchers in Jose Ramirez for Brandon Lau? I think that's within the realm of possibility. Like if, if you picked up the phone with the guardians and said, Hey, Brandon Lau, he's under team control for five years. He's only guaranteed for three fairly cheap or, uh, and that the they they enjoy cheap contracts in, in Cleveland. Much like the Rays. We'll give you 27-year-old Brandon Lau. He's reaching his prime. Enjoy him. Please give me the last year of Jose Ramirez and Zach Plesak. Or or I mean the Rays would probably much prefer uh maybe like a, a, a top pitching prospect, like uh Tristan McKenzie or whatever. Like I would like McKenzie, yeah. If you if you put that, I think on paper. That's a reasonable deal for the on-paper Brandon Lau. If you ignore all the postseason stuff and the frustrations, and when you have an extreme amount of depth and you're looking to to capitalize and get Jose Ramirez in the door, like why shouldn't a rebuilding Cleveland team cash in on Jose Ramirez and get a long-term asset like Brandon Lau? Like that would make sense. He would probably be like the number two hitter on the Cleveland Guardians. So yeah. I don't know. I, I would like that. Yeah, I mean, Cleveland's not making the postseason, so they don't have to worry about his performance then. Just get another great regular season guy. That's brutal. <laughs> oh, I hope Steve Kinsella is not listening. <laughs> that, that's going to hurt him. When I say running it back, I'm really talking about the position player core and the starting pitching core. And I, and I think my answer is, is, is no. But not out of, like, I don't think this team as currently constructed is good enough to win a World Series. I think they are. Uh, but you cannot rest on your laurels. Like you can't win 100 games and say, well, let's just run it back with these these same guys. Like Think about the way you got to 100 wins. You had Tyler Glass now for half a season. Okay, well, you don't get him at all next year. You had a great month of Rich Hill. Well, he's not back. Uh, like There are other like pieces to, to that, that are needed to make this team better. Like It wasn't a great September. You do get a full season of Wander Franco, um, but... Even with another year of experience for guys like Shane McClanahan, Shane Boz, Drew Rasmussen, like you still need starting pitching depth. We don't know what Luis Patino like looks like in a full season as a starting pitcher on the, at the big league level. Uh, we don't know what Yanni Chirinos is going to look like. A lot of people forgot that Yanni mm. Chirinos existed. Um, I mean, Ryan he's Yarbrough. part of the 2022 rotation right now as constructed. Yeah, like, what, what is Ryan Yarbrough? Does he belong on this Rays team that won 100 games? Like what is Josh Fleming? You've got a lot. You've got a lot more. Not question marks, but like, yeah, these guys are good, but they could be better. Like there could be better options out there. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not comfortable with them running it back, but I do think they are good enough. But the goal isn't to just be good enough. Like the goal is to to go ahead and actually do it. And they I mean, got so close. McClanahan but- is a two. Rasmussen is a three. You'd prefer a rookie like Patino to be a five. So you're still missing a one and a four when I think of a one, two, three, four, five. Shane Boz. Shane Boz is probably in. Put him at the four. Great. I still feel like you're missing the one. So like that's where it's kind of frustrating for me. You're missing the glass now. You're missing the Morton. You're missing the 
you know, Max Scherzer. Mm, yeah, that's that's, that's not real. Max Scherzer's not walking through that door. Um, like I, I, I do think there's an opportunity to add. You know, you're not going to be bringing back Michael Walker probably, probably. I might be. And interested. if the rota- if the rotation is McClanahan, Rasmussen, Patino, Boz, and Fleming, or and Chirinos, uh, let's say the race. Or or and Yarbrough. If Yarbrough is like the fifth man of the rotation, like I don't know if I'm worried about the Rays' ability to win games. I think that's fine. I do think though that if you want to have a better postseason experience than you did this year, there are improvements to be made. I agree, and uh, I think that's a, that's a good place to end it. I know there's plenty. If there's a player that we didn't talk about, we talked about really the big three. I think going into this offseason. But like G-Man Troy, Yanni Diaz, Joey Wendell, there's a lot of other decisions that need to be made. We'll dive deeper into that and talk a little bit more about prospects this offseason. It's going to be a great time on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network this offseason as we wait for pitchers and catchers to report next February. But Danny, uh, thanks for coming on today. Hey, it's fun to dream. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And as always, head on over to DRaysBay.com to check out all of the great off-season coverage i know you guys are probably just as heartbroken as us when it comes to how this season ended but there's always next year so once again thank you guys for listening and i'll talk to you next week 